That's the joke. Actually, right now, my life is immersed in the world of knock-knock jokes, none of which make any sense. I would share some with you, but as you know with grandkids, they make them up on the fly. So I've heard a lot of bizarro knock-knocks that I will not be sharing today. We're going to continue in our study of um, Zechariah this morning. Uh, as we wade through some of the most unusual passages out of the prophets where visions are told and seen and then interpreted, and of course the question is for us living here in this century is like, what does that have to do with me here? And I hope that this morning when you leave that will be answered. We are living in some strange, strange times. Strange times. Uh, but none is more stranger than this, that this is a time of immense connectivity and yet immense loneliness. Uh, UCLA combined with uh, Cigna, the health guys, to do a big study because they were seeing an epidemic in the university of kids feeling lonely. So they went to this company and said, let's do this larger study. And they did, and did actually a nationwide study on how people feel about being connected. And they found that amazing thing that actually in the United States, over 44% of people say, I'm lonely all the time. All the time. And then when they looked at various breakdowns of that by age group, they discovered you would think that the older you get, the more lonely you feel. Actually, it's quite the opposite. The older you get, the more you're connected. The younger you are, the lonelier you feel. And they found that actually kids that are in there in the college years, where of course the college was most interested in the 18 to 22 years, uh, they feel the most disconnected. Almost 50% of them said, I'm disconnected from people around me, from things going on, I feel lonely all the time. And then as they went down the various age bands from millennial to generation X to boomers, to the greatest generation, those 73 and older, they found that actually the numbers went down. You, you, you chuckle because you are great. But it's true. The question is, wh where's the relational safety net? But wait a minute, aren't the younger populations highly connected? The answer is yes and no. As a matter of fact, the data is really becoming quite clear that, um, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, that the digital world is actually creating some sense of connectivity. But guess what? It's fake. It's not real. It's a fantasy connection that actually creates more senses of loneliness than before. Now, the reason I share this with you uh, is it applies to our passage today. Mother Teresa said this in thinking about connectivity. She said the most ter terrible poverty, I think about the poverty she had seen, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. This was written by a, a researcher in uh, the social sciences. They said connectivity is a powerful replacement to intimacy and creates an illusion of being heard and having a faux community, but it's only a substitute that can't meet the real needs of individuals. Can't meet the real needs of individuals. The Wired Magazine right, wrote this, we live in a society bloated with data yet starved for wisdom. We are connected 24 seven yet anxiety, fear, depression, and loneliness are at an all time high. What's going on here? Well, it's the need for connectivity. We all have it. It's in all of us. As a matter of fact, uh, the scriptures tell us it's actually built in. We have a hunger to be connected to each other, but to God. In us is that gap. As a matter of fact, there's a great song by a 
children's musician called The Donut Song that says life without Jesus is like a donut. There's a hole in the middle of your heart. That's our craving for God and connectivity with him. Well, you know, this was not a, a new thing, the sense of wanting to feel connected but also feeling alienated. While many today feel lonely and alienated, this also occurred in the time of Zechariah. Keep in mind, these are people who had been in exile for almost two generations. Think about that, two generations in exile. That means people have been born and died probably within those generations, and they never knew anything but being in exile. And those who had come out of the land initially, they were gone for the most part. And those who were now alive and thriving, they were probably born there. What did they know about God? Well, they didn't know anything. They were disconnected. They felt exiled. So as we look into the book of Zechariah today, I want you to remember these people that he's speaking to felt totally alienated from God. And they felt alienated from their land and from the, the core of who they were. Not all, but some had taken on sort of the culture that they lived in. But many of those had an inner hunger and they didn't know what it was. And Zechariah is going to speak to that in the visions that he has in this next section we're going to look at. Now, a quick, quick little review in case you missed last week or you weren't sure what we're talking about. This book has these eight fabulous visions and then four sermons. And they, the core is that the people need to be encouraged that God has remembered them. God has not forgotten them. And they're coming back into the land based with this hope that, that's building. So as they return to the land, as this time of rebuilding begins to take place, God wants to encourage and give them hope that he has not forgotten. He wants them to see the faithfulness of his promises. And so these words come through the prophet to encourage them. And he actually wants to remind them that you're actually at your most powerful when you're weak. Does that sound familiar? That actually when you have nothing, it's, there's plenty of room then for God to work and he's going to show himself strong on their behalf. And last week the focus was on God remembering. The whole purpose of that first little vision was God has not forgotten you. He, he's remembered you and he's acting on your behalf. Well, today... We're going to shift gears, and there's going to be a completely different focus, and that is that God is with you. Matter of fact, God calls you into his presence. He invites you into his presence, and he will be with you. And he wants them as a people and a nation, but he wants us to be aware that he is with us, and he is responsive to us. Now, you might say, now, wait a minute. Now, why are we doing Zechariah again? Isn't this like somebody way back there, way over there at a time that doesn't really apply? I mean, we're, we're not exiles. Oh, really? We're not? We have not been exiled from the kingdom of God? We have not been wandering in a dry and parched land? We haven't been people under the rulership of something else, someone else? Of course we have. Because these people are just like us. We too have been captive people that God has come and set free and called into a whole different place. And we too need connection both with each other and with God. And we need to know that God is with us, that he inhabits the places we are, that he seeks out his people and seeks connection with them. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, reminds us of this thing through the Apostle Paul. He said, now these things happened, these things we're going to look at today, back then. These things happened as examples for us. Listen to this. So we would not crave evil things. 
And then it goes on to say, because some fell into that and they made it idols that they worshiped instead of the living God. If, if you leave with nothing else today, it's that you would be reminded by looking at what God has done here, you would be reminded of what he cares for you. I bet he cares for you now. And that you would replace cravings that are trying to captivate you with the desire to be in God's presence. Amen? Okay. Let, let's give thanks this morning. Lord, thank you so much that we can gather freely. We think of our brothers and sisters around the world who are in different situations. We pray for them, that your presence will be with them as well, that they will enjoy the move of your Holy Spirit. They will be illuminated to the power of your word as we would ask we will be. Father, thank you that we belong to this large community, this family of yours that is being redeemed daily to be brought into your presence and reflect the glory of your son, Jesus. Our prayer this morning is that your word will continue to transform us and we will move forward in an ever-increasing way into your presence. Thank you so much in Jesus' name and for his sake, Lord. Amen. So this is a rather lengthy passage. Turn to Zechariah chapter 1. We're gonna just, I'm just going to read through the whole passage. Then we're going to come back and look at a few highlights. Going, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jerry. What about all those great questions I've got about this? Chris said just call him. And he'll answer all your questions. <laughs> so if questions come up, fill out a little note or write him a, leave him a voice message saying Jerry said to call. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7. Here we go. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berak, the son of Ido, as follows. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing along the myrtle trees, which were in the, raven, the ravine, with red sorrel and white horses behind him. And then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing along the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing alongside the myrtle trees and said, we have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. Verse 12, then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? The Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations who are at ease for a while. I was only a little angry. They furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. We could stop there, but we're not because actually the next two visions are connected. So let's continue. Verse 18. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, there were four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the horns from which have scattered Judea, Jerusalem. Israel and Jerusalem. And then the Lord showed me four craftsmen or blacksmiths in some versions. And I said, what are these coming to do? 
And he said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head, but these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the, the land of Judah in order to scatter it. Chapter two. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out and another angel was coming out to meet him. And I said to him and said to him, run, speak to that young man saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have dispersed you as the four winds of heavens, declares the Lord. Ho Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will plunder for, the, for their slaves. And then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. What is going on here? Well, it's really quite simple, right? God's on the move. And he's on the move and he tells these, gives these, these various visions so that the people begin to hear that he is not withholding his hand. He's on the move. He's doing something amazing. As a matter of fact, we have these three visions and surprisingly, there are common threads. Now we could delve into each one and, and get into the, into the meat of it, but we're not gonna do that. We're gonna look at what are they, how do they tie together? What is God saying to the people here that he's saying to us as well? So we have these three visions. One is this vision of these patrolling angels that are around the world and they're checking things out. What is the Holy Spirit saying? That God is aware. He is aware of everything. Whatever, and believe me, I don't understand the mechanism here. I don't know if that means literally or figuratively or if you have a dream of a horse outside your bedroom one night. Does that line up with this vision? Don't know about that. But here's what I do know. God knows and whatever the mechanism he uses, he gathers information. He knows what's going on everywhere. He is aware of all things. He has ministering spirits that are out and about, and they are here with us. They're everywhere, and God is informed of everything. So he knows all things. Secondly, the vision of the four horns. What is that about? Well, you've got these four rulers. Horns represented rulers in the Old Testament. You've got these four rulers that have raised themselves up against the nation. And basically, God says, here's a little clue. They're nothing. I'm, I'm going to bring them down. And I already have the mechanism in place to bring them down. You don't even know about it. But I'm at work, and I'm bringing these rulers down because that's my prerogative. I'm God. They're not. And he's helping them get a clearer perspective that God reigns over all things, including evil rulers. And he will use them for his purposes, but he'll bring them down when his purposes suit. He is God, they are not. And then lastly, this, this last vision, what is, what is with measuring Jerusalem? You, you know what he's telling them here. 
is that there is a place that I will inhabit that is so large you can't even imagine. You th you're thinking small, I'm thinking big. As a matter of fact, the measurements I measure are so large you, can't even, you don't have a context for them because you think it's about you, but it's not just about you. It's about you and all those who I will bring to myself as we see in that last passage. As a matter of fact, in this entire section, I think there were four pivotal verses that really tell us what the Lord is saying to the people through the prophet. Because remember, these words are to encourage. So here are people that are feeling alienated, feeling detached. They're not sure where they're going. They're not sure if God is for them. And here comes the prophet, and he says these things, beginning in verse uh, 14 of chapter 1. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. What does that mean? Because we kind of use the word jealous in a very negative way, but why would God use that? What's he telling them? I'm for you. I think about you. I care about you all the time. I'm for you. You know what this is? This is his call home. This is what people who have a good relationship do when they're apart from each other. They connect. I'll call home and talk to Shelly two or three times, four times on, on the road just to kind of hear her voice. But you know, what else, you know what else it says? I'm thinking about you because I care for you. We, we, we're connected. And that's what he's saying here. He says, I am for you. I have passion for you. I care for you. I think of you. Verse 5 of chapter 2, For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. The point here is, is not that, that Jerusalem is going to be this, this magical city that has this amazing wall of fire around it. It's going to be that it's so broad, it doesn't even need a wall because God's presence is its wall. And the beauty of this statement is, who's in the middle of the city? He is. He is in the midst of the city. And his word to the nation is, you know where I'm going to be? I'm not out here somewhere. I'm in here, in the middle of where you are. I'm going to bring you to this place, and I'm right there with you. I will be in your midst. Now, these are people that wondered, is God around? And he's answering their question. I'm not only around. I'm bringing you to where I am, and I will be there with you. Absolutely, in the midst of where you are. Then verse 8 of chapter 2, For thus says the Lord, After the glory he has sent me against the nations will plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Who's he talking about there? Who's the apple of his eye? Who? The nation of Israel. Who else? You. Me. Those that he draws to himself. We are the apple of his eye. We are his beloved. He is for us. And I think that sometimes we kind of forget that. We kind of think that God is like out there and he's like checking on business, but, you know, he's not even sure of our names. Stuff's going on and maybe I should pray so he'll be aware of what's going on. You know, none of that's true. Do you know that he is aware all the time of you and your needs? Because you're the apple of his eye. You are constantly before him. You are your, your name is written on the palm of his hand. You were before him all the time. And he wanted to remind the nation they had forgotten that. They didn't know they were the apple of his eye. They didn't know that he cared for them. They had forgotten. And he's reminding them through the prophet. And then verse 10 of chapter 2, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For listen, behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. And then in verse 11, Many nations will join themselves to the Lord. Who's that? Us. We will join us. And look where we will be. 
They will become my people and I will dwell in your midst. The Holy Spirit is here. He's in you. He's in this place. God is here in our midst. He's in the midst of every gathering of believers around the planet. And he wants us to remember that. Where you are, I am. You're not alone. You're not alienated. You're connected. And so here's a group of people coming back to the land, and they're wondering, are we doing this all by ourselves? And the answer is, no, you're not. Matter of fact, I'm with you. I'm in your midst. And he reminds them over and over and over again, I am here for you. I value you. I'm with you. And of course, this is good news. This is good news to the people. He says, I know your situation. You're known by me. I haven't forgotten you. Now, you may have forgotten me, but I'm going to pull you back in. And those who have oppressed you, I'm going to deal with them. Isn't that good news? You don't have to worry about being the judge and the jury. There is a judge. He takes care of business. And it's not us. We can release those things to, to the Lord. And then, I, I, love, I love this phrase, I have a desire for you. And I want to be in your midst. Isn't that awesome? God desires us and wants to be with us and wants us to be with him. As a matter of fact, where does our value come from in this relationship? From him. He's the pursuer. He's the one that brings us to himself. He's the one that comes into our midst. So those are the words of, of Zechariah to, to the nation, that God knows them and values them, that he desires to dwell in their midst, and that while there will be many nations out and about, he's going to draw those, some of those nations into himself. He's going to join them to himself. As a matter of fact, really what he's doing here is reminding us, too, of the words of David that he spoke in the Psalms. Listen to this. This is Psalm 17. Lord, you wondrously show your loving kindness to those who take refuge in you. At your right hand, you rise up against those who rise up against them. Therefore, O oh God, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Is that not an awesome prayer? Because this is the truth of what Zechariah is saying. God is our defense. We can be hidden in him and trust him completely. Psalm 95, David also speaking, he says this. He says, Lord, we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. We will give thanks to you forever to all generations. We will tell of your praise. What does it mean to be his people and to be the sheep of his pasture? What do shepherds do? Take care of sheep. Go after the sheep. Make sure they're safe. Keep them all going in the same direction. Adapt to their stupidity. <laughs> Realize that they're sheep, and they act like sheep, and he understands it. God's not surprised when we struggle and when we act out and when we act like sheep. He's surprised when we act like pigs, because we, that's who we used to be, but we're not that anymore. We're sheep now. But we belong to him. We are the, I love this phrase, we're his people and the sheep of his pasture. So he speaks to the nation, but he also speaks to us. Now let me ask you this question. Have you ever pondered this? Does God know me? Is he aware of me? Or am I just like alone here? Is there anyone who values me for who I am? Is there anybody who 
truly wants to be with me in my presence? And the answer to all those questions is yes. There is a God who knows everything about you. As a matter of fact, he knows your molecules. And it's his spirit that holds them together. He created us at the most intimate level. He knows everything about us. Who values us? He does. We are also the apple of his eye. How do we know that? Because of Jesus. Jesus came for me, you, us. And he did it willingly to lay it down to reflect God's mercy and love towards us because we have great value to him. Does God want to be with us? And the answer, amazingly, the God of the cosmos wants to inhabit you. He inhabits us. How does that work? I have no clue. But the, we know this from the scriptures. The Holy Spirit resides where? In us. Which is why there are so many cautions about doing silly things with your body because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's with us. And when we gather like this, the Holy Spirit is here with us. And when we release our hearts to him, the Holy Spirit is free to minister to each other through us. So are these words for us today? Well, I think they are. A recent poll done by USA Today of 16 to 22-year-olds asked this question. Would you prefer face-to-face -face communication or digital communication? 88% said digital. As a matter of fact, some of the personal comments were, I'm scared of face-to-face. There's an emerging set of articles and data that basically says these are lonely times as depression and suicide rise, as people feel disconnected. And we are seriously busy people, too busy to take a break and connect and be in relationships. And not, sadly, I think this filters into the church too, where many believers feel a detached from God's presence. And you know, it's a funny thing. It's hard to share about the good news of Jesus when you're not living in the good news of Jesus, right? I mean, nobody wants their testimony to be, you know, come and serve Jesus and have a great time, kind of like me, <laughs> Yahoo. Uh, I mean, really, that's, that's not salting the earth. That's being dead. And the presence of Christ is something very different, and he calls us to that. As a matter of fact, I think these encouraging words of, of Zechariah are also reflected in the New Testament. Listen to Hebrews 2. It says this, for this reason, for the reason that Christ has done these wonderful things, we must pay close attention to what we have heard so we do not drift away. You realize there's a drift factor at play here, right, in our lives? I mean, Shelley and I were, have been pondering, I mean, what happens to people as they age? Well, sadly, the data seems to say they drift, and sometimes they just drift away. Not, they don't fall away, but they just drift into nowhere. They're not contributing, they're not involved, they're not engaged, they just drift. And pretty soon they're not connected. Pay close attention to what you've heard so you do not drift away from it. And then in Colossians 3, Paul writing, he re reframes what Zechariah says. He says this in verse 12 of chapter 3, you are chosen of God. Now, I want you to say those words to yourself. I am chosen by God. God chose me. It's like the ultimate insult in dodgeball to be the last one chosen, right? 
kind of kind of means nobody wants you. So all right, I, I guess our team will take you. Yeah, yeah, sure, send him over. That's not God's plan at all. You 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 are not the last one standing in dodgeball. Jesus says you're, you're the first. I chose you first. I I chose you. I want you to be part of my team. You're in. Come over here. Over here with me. It was always a thrill to be chosen by the biggest guy in the school. Like, I'm going with that team over there. Because a win was assured. Do you realize that? You've been chosen by the best team captain of all to be on his team. And he's called you by name. Mike shared a wonderful devotion in the, uh, in the elders meeting. I, I know some people kind of think the elders are like some kind of secretive group that wears black uh, robes and meets in some secret room somewhere. If it's a secret room, no one's told me because it's that secret. But the truth is the elders are normal people leading just like you, and they meet in that room right upstairs, and we have really awesome devotion and prayer time, praying for you, praying for this place. Mike shared a wonderful devotion that really I had wondered where this was going, and that devotion put the capstone. Hey, it must have been like a Holy Spirit thing, right? Awesome. Because this passage out of Colossians ties all this together. It takes all these really great concepts from Zacharias like, okay, so we're special. God's chosen us. God's with us. Yeah, yeah. So what? Well, Colossians, Paul writing Colossians tells us so what? He says this, beginning in verse 12. Basically, because you have been chosen by God, because you've been chosen, he chose you, you now have some responsibilities. Matter of fact, I want you to do two things. I want you to take off some things, and I want you to put on some things. Now, I have to tell you, uh, over the years, I've noticed this funny little trend, not necessarily in this church, but just in the churches in general, that I don't need to really do anything. You know, God has done everything. I just like I'm along for the ride. It's like the e-ticket ride at Disneyland. I just get on, and I just ride along. And, and they take a picture at the end, and, and it's cool. That's not what this walk is all about at all. God has chosen us, and he says, now, there's some things you need to take off. Put them, take them off, just like clothes or coat. Take them off and put them aside. And put them over there. As a matter of fact, the, imp the inference is, and take them down to go Goodwill and put them in that box and let them go far away from you because these are not you anymore. Take them off, get rid of them. And then there's some things I want you to put on and put them on and put them on, inferring that put them on and do these things. Now listen to this. What should we put off. And this is not rocket science. Verse 3 of Colossians 3 says this. Therefore, since you've been raised up with Christ, seek the things where? Above. Above where? Here. All the stuff that's going on here, this is all temporary, right? I mean, we all know that. This temporal, it's coming, it's going, it's got to be gone. We're going to be gone. Temporary. Don't even focus on that. Focus on something else. Things above where Christ is. Set your mind on those things, not on the things on the earth. Verse 8. But now you put aside, now listen to this, here's the things to take off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Because you have laid aside the old self with all its evil practices. In other words, you took that coat off and you laid it down and you don't even put that on anymore. You laid it over here. You're done with it. Now, by the way, who is he talking to here? Who was Paul talking to in Colossians? 
the church. It's, these are not some ungodly pagans out there doing kooky things like, oh, well, they need to deal with that wrath. You know who he's talking to? You, me, us. You put this stuff to the side. Why would he tell us to do that? Because we still put it on. It's like dirty underwear. We just keep putting it on. He's saying, get rid of it. Take it off. Don't put it back on. Take these things off. That's not who you are anymore. That's your old self. Take it off. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, oh, I love this phrase. You've been chosen of God, holy and beloved. You are holy. You are beloved. Put on, what should we put on? A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. And then he goes on and he says, and oh, by the way, don't forget to put on love over the whole thing. Because that's what ties you together in unity. And let the peace of Christ reign over you. Because that's what ties it all together. Because that's what you were called to, to be one body. And verse 16, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So it like pops out everywhere. And with all wisdom and teaching, admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and sing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Do you see what you're supposed to put on? This is not hard stuff, but we still have to choose to put it on. And we have to choose to embrace it and engage with it. I've, I've been impressed. I shared this with the elders a couple of weeks back that several months ago I was deeply impressed with Ezra and Nehemiah. Appreciate you sharing that, Kevin. The, the phrase that came out of those two books and, and, and studying them and, and hearing a devotion on them was the gracious hand of God was upon, and then there's all these cool things. The, the gracious hand of God was upon the nation, the people, the this, that situation, the king, the evil king, the gracious hand of God was on him. This, 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 this. It happens like eight to ten times. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not, I must not be seeing the gracious hand of God at work because I'm not paying attention. I began to pray, Lord, show me your gracious hand so I can do two things. One, I can tell others when I see it. I'll tell them, hey, that's the gracious hand of God that did this thing. This thing, I didn't do this thing. The gracious hand of God did. And then thankfulness can follow. Because wherever this phrase is used, it says, and the people broke out in thankfulness and worship because they saw the gracious hand of God at work. And, you know, since that time, I have seen amazing things. Amazing things. And by the way, they were, God was at work. It's not like they suddenly happened because I was looking. They were already happening. But now I can look and go, wow, that was the gracious hand of God at work. I had nothing to do with that. I was just part, I was a part of it. And he did this thing. And now, Lord, you're so good. I'm going to tell people about that. And I've seen some cool things happen in my own life and the lives around me, even in my work life. Shocking. God inhabits my work. It's amazing. He's everywhere. If I will only look to see now, the reason I share this with you is because one of the key components in this whole process has been the place of giving thanks, being filled with gratitude. In that little passage out of Colossians, the phrase, be thankful, occurs three or four times. As a matter of fact, it seems like it's almost tied to everything, being thankful. Being thankful people, being thankful for this, being thankful for each other, being thankful to God for this, for that. So I would remind you this morning that that's an amazing linchpin to be putting on and taking off 
is moving us towards a being people that are gracious and thankful. Being filled with thanksgiving. Don't, don't you like being around those people? I'm not talking about fake people that just say, wow, praise the Lord all the time. I'm talking about people that are truly thankful and grac gracious because they sense God's working in their soul. Appreciate it. So let me just close with this, with this thought. Zechariah reminds us and encourages us as he did the nation that we, like the Israelites, we are the apple of God's eye. Now I want you to pause for a moment. Can you say that in your heart? I am the apple of God's eye and believe? Because you are. He says it right here. We're the apple of his eye. And that we have been chosen by him. Do you believe that God chose you to be on his team? As Paul said, he did. And that we are holy and beloved. Are you holy and beloved? You are. And that he has called us to be in his habitation via the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, we are now his habitation. We are it. He is here with us. And that he has urged us to put off some things, that evil old self and its evil practices, and to fill our mouths with and lives with thanksgiving and to put on graciousness and humility. Obviously, these are all things expressed towards other people, aren't they? Is that interesting? So I would hope that above all these things that you would daily remember that he knows us, he calls us to himself, and he inhabits our hearts and our worship. Matter of fact, we know that he does because of Psalm 22, where David writing says God literally is enthroned on the worship of his people. He inhabits those praises. He finds his presence there when we are worshiping him and giving thanks to him. And I think Paul says it best when he closes out of Colossians in verse 17. He says, whatever you do, think about that, whatever you do, whether it's what you say or what you actually do, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I got to tell you, I'm all about helping people that are in need and going over to Ross Crouch and doing some cool stuff. But let's make sure that when we do that, we remind them we're not doing this for us. You know why we're doing this? Because of the love of Jesus. It compels us to help, to give, to share, to lift up. It's the love of Jesus. And if someone asks you for a handout somewhere and you are compelled to give it to them, let them know. This is not my money. This is Jesus' money. And he's, he's giving it to you. Or if I'm going to take you out for a meal, Jesus is feeding you. Because it's about him, not about us. It's about him. And when we do all things in the name of Jesus, let us give thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. Amen? So as you walk out today, remember these things. God is for you, just like he was for the nation of Israel. And you are precious to him. You have incredible value to him. And he wants to connect. If you feel disconnected, God is there to connect with you. He wants to inhabit the place where you are. Sometimes it just needs an invitation to be reminded Jesus coming to this place with us. And just like the nation of Israel, as they struggled to move into this hard work that was before them, God said, don't, don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. And you have great value. And this is part of the purposes that I've planned for you. 
and I will go with you. So as we, as we get ready to uh, have a time of worship and communion, the worship team comes up, let me just remind you of, of the communion that's going to be before us here. You know, we do this as believers to remember the sacrifice of Christ. To remember the things that Zechariah is talking about here, that God is with us, that we are precious, that he has done this amazing thing. 